my wife said, they're looking for a lifeboat press officer at Lockery or in LI. Maybe you'd be interested in that. And it perked my interest immediately. And it was so wonderful to go back there, to be to be welcomed back and, and to go back and to meet people, some of whom I'd christened, some of whom I'd married, some whom I'd played football with, and some whom I'd sat down for table quizzes with. And now suddenly we all now had another common objective, and that was to help and protect and secure the lives of people who spent their time on the water around us. Hello, I'm Tom McGuire, and I'm the Volunteer Lifeboat Press Officer at Lochree or in LI. If you were to take a pin and drop it in the middle of Ireland, you would drop it in Lochree, because that's where we are, right in the heart of Ireland. It's a lake that's about 45 kilometres long, about 20 kilometres wide, and it really is the bridge between east and west. The bridge, the River Shannon, which runs right through the spine of our country, is in our main town in Athlone and Coosin Point, where the Lockery Urnlie Station, where I'm a volunteer LPO, is, is about five kilometres from Athlone on a little headland out into the lake. It is, I suppose, a leisure lake. It's a fantastic amenity for people from three counties. We were fortunate enough to have um, a new lifeboat station opened last year. And the big song for that day was one that had been a hit in the 80s called Where the Three Counties Meet. And it was about Lochree, oh Lochree, where the three counties meet, Longford, Westmeath and Roscommon. So that's the community. I went to Lochree and to Coosin in 1980. I was ordained a priest and I was assigned to Athlone and Coosin was part of that beat. So that was my very first experience. It was a wonderful one because... No more than new departures now, there was there was a new, very modern church had just been built at Coosin. There was a growing community. It was a very rural community at that time. It is now a suburb of Athlone, if you want to call it that. And it it was a community that was vibrant in terms of sport, in terms of story, in terms of music, and in terms of school. And I think maybe that school... And in a strange way, across the road, the cemetery were the things that were at the heart of that community. And you were with people from the very beginning of life to the very end of life. And you touch base with them every day in different ways. But it was great fun as well. The only presence you had of the RNLI at that time was in the early 1980s. There were always people you would meet on the street um, shaking a bucket or holding a plastic lifeboat and asking for support. Over a period of maybe 30, 40 years, when they saw the need for the presence of RNLI, that it was only at the beginning of this century that they began to campaign for that, and were fortunate enough to have another RNLI presence now for the last 12 years. No, Kusin was probably my or Athlone was my only appointment. I had worked in the school there and I'd worked in St. Mary's and in Coosin. And, and then somewhere in the late 1980s, I began to look to other pastures. I'd begun doing some work with Pirate Radio, 
pirate radio for the church in a sense because it was taught for the day and it was those moments early morning when you know you went to a garret above a department store and you found one guy in a room full of nicotine and smoke and coffee and you had your few minutes prepared i i always liked telling stories it was probably the favorite part of the ministry for me was that three or five minutes on a saturday or sunday when i had an opportunity to tell a story so that 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 was good for me and i began to really enjoy it i then began to do some work because i had been teaching as well with with education on radio and when i i felt kind of my race had run as far as priesthood was concerned and i went to look at something else I um, I looked towards radio, and in fact, the diocese was very supportive to me, and, and I, I went to London and did a postgrad in, in radio and TV production direction, and, and that brought me into media. I was really lucky because I got a job with a new radio station because commercial radio only arrived in Ireland in the 1990s, and I was there for the startup of Radio Kerry in the Southwest, and I began to discover places like Phoenix and Valencia, and it was then I had an awareness of how much the sea was part of people's lives and how much the RNLI was part of that community then. So that, that was probably my first exposure. I moved just to the next county, to Cork, and to, to work with RTE, the national broadcaster, in the early 90s. And again, the sea was there and storytelling was there. In fact, it was at that time that I trained as a radio producer and the very first uh, radio documentary that I made was was one called Young Men, Old Boats. And it told the story of the families of a crew who had been lost on the Carrigatine, which was fishing out of Greencastle in 1995. And it looked particularly at the fact that at that time, it took, I think, maybe five, 10 years before these people were declared lost. And the families at home couldn't kind of begin to draw down insurance or support or anything else. It was it was kind of that hidden underbelly of a tragedy and what happened. So that kind of really was the very, very first time that I stood on a pier and that I smelt the fish and that I sensed the loss and knew that there was always a story there. I was lucky also probably to come across a friend called Tom McSweeney, who was presenting from Cork a program called Seascapes. And that continued up until I think last year on Radio One. It was it was really unusual because I went on later to run Radio One and Seascapes was an enigma in a way because 90 or 50% of the audience had no connection with the sea or the water at all. But they liked the stories of the sea, they liked that, that maritime aura that they could get from that. And again, I found there that when you were working as a news reporter, very often it was the local lifeboat press officer that you had to contact because you were going out there to tell a story and to be sensitive. And that, that really was, was what I, I learned from the very beginning with RNLI, that, that it really was there to serve, to save everyone, but it was also there to be sensitive to the, the needs of, of the casualties and the need of, need of the crew. And it gave me a great admiration for the charity at that time. I'd finished my career in RTE in 2020 in Dublin as head of Radio One. 
It was one that had begun and was bookended by perhaps 9-11 on one end and COVID on the other end and everything that came in between. But I continued to live in the Midlands, not very far from Loch Ree. My wife, Ita, who had grown up as a teenager with her grandparents, strangely, um, spending the summers on Loch Ree on a converted lifeboat called the Malagas, that our sons, Kieran and Keith and Owen, had been members of Sobakwa, had always spent some time on the lake, that in fact, I was probably the one who had dipped my toe least in the water of our family. But I had retired and I thought, yeah, I'm going to take a few months and I'll do nothing. And on Facebook one evening, my wife said, they're looking for a lifeboat press officer at Loch or in LA. Maybe you'd be interested in that. And it perked my interest immediately. And it was so wonderful to go back there, to be, to be welcomed back and, and to go back and to meet people, some of whom I'd christened, some of whom I'd married, some whom I'd played football with, and some whom I'd sat down for table quizzes with. And now suddenly we all now had another common objective, and that was to help and protect and secure the lives of people who spent their time on the water around us. So, so that brought me back, and, and then I began to discover something else because I was being retrained in the area of communications rather than journalism, probably. But also, I kind of it, it reawakened that storytelling because maybe for the decade I'd spent in management, I wasn't making programs and I wasn't telling stories in a public manner. But I began to see what the role was because I think that the generosity of the donors and the patrons who support the RNLI, I think that the opportunity you have as a press officer is to tell the story of where that donation is going, of what it is doing, of who the people are being supported, of who the casualties are, of what happens, of every time that orange boat goes out, what, what's going on, of every evening the crew go out to train what's happening, of the people who go to schools to educate, of those who open the door for visitors, um, of those who just maybe go down to refresh and repair life jackets for people before they go out on a fishing trip on the lake. It's all of that, but it is to tell the story to the people who support. I think it's a great privilege because I'm, I'm not a really good swimmer. I'm kind of half afraid of the water anyway. I can't understand then why someone like me, who has a bit of detachment from the water, is able to have the opportunity to tell the story and to be when you peel back all the layers of the onion, to be just one little cog in this big machine that is saving lives on our lake or on your seas. Hello, this is Joanna Scanlon. You've been listening to the RNLI's 200 Voices collection. To hear more remarkable stories, head to rnli.org 200 voices or subscribe to RNLI wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening.
200 Voices is an adventurous audio limited production for the RNLI.